My name's Phil Williams and I would like to welcome you to Audio Angling, the podcast site of fishingfilmsandfacts.co.uk. In September of 2014, not only the carp world, but TV and media generally was left reeling by the exploits of specialist carp angler Warren Harrison, who during a trip to Euro Aqua Lake in Hungary, included within a total catch of around two and a half tonnes, two carp each in excess of 90 pounds. By any comparison, a staggering haul. I'm currently in the company of Warren at his home in Denton just outside Manchester. So let's get right down to business. Give us a blow-by-blow account of how all this came about, and obviously the trip itself. It was when I was fishing Rainbow Lakes. I've been chasing like big carp for the last 25, 30 years, and I wanted to catch a carp over 90 pounds. And I'd been fishing Rainbow for a long time, catching some big fish up to 70, 78. And there's a couple of lads on there who I fish with regular. They'd heard of this place, Yorowakwa uh, in Hungary. So I did some searching and research and asked them loads of questions and eventually I found out that uh, I could get there but go on a trip with a few lads, Rob Ailes and the rest of them. So I was uh, just joined their team and I flew there and the lads took the tackle so I could only take a little bit of stuff, limited stuff. And I managed to get a swim on Yorowakwa in June this year, 2014. It was awesome fishing and I seen some massive fish caught but I didn't have the right tackle, I didn't have the right bait. Why I thought the next time I go to Yorowakwa, if I had plenty of bait, the right rods and all the gear, the boiling stuff, I could boil all my particles myself, I could take plenty of boilies, I knew I could do something special and that's what I did. The June trip ended and I'd, I'd end up with about 25 fish but nothing big. Add 40 pounders was the biggest, 49 pound. I seen a 98 pound carp caught. I seen a 92 pound carp caught and lots of 70s. Other lads on the other side of the lake and they were boiling their own bait and they had all the tackle. So uh, we came home, or just before we came home, I had a word with the owner and got well into his ribs. I had a good chat with him and he closed the lake after that trip in June for two months and he reopened it on the first two weeks of September. So the first two weeks of September is a special time because it's been closed from beginning of June right through to Lent. But he wants €3,000 a week to fish the lake because he said it's a special time. So while I'm there in June, he goes out hunting the owner and he kind of took a shine to me. Get calling me Warren Peter. So what he did on the nights I went out shooting and hunting, he asked me to go with him. So I went with him several times. And he kept saying to me, you come back in September, Warren. He said, it's a fantastic time. You'll catch some big fish and it's easier than when it's been hammered. I said, no, I can't afford £3,000 a week or I can't justify spending €3,000 a week for a fishing trip. And it's a fortnight trip. So it's like €6,000 plus €1,000 to get that £7,000. You're talking €8,000. So uh, on my last day I was leaving, he said to me, you come back in September, Warren. He said, I like you. So I said, I know. He said to me, he, he put me to one side and he let me have it for a very special price, which I'm not going to mention. <laughs> so that's it. I decided to go. So we came home, me and Dave Treasure, an old guy who I fished with for years, a partner. I fished with him for 40 years. He's one of the old school. He's 72. I managed to get him with me. We came home and we had a meeting at his house and we planned all the session, all the bait. We're going to take what bait we're going to take, all the hemp, all the tigers, all the boilies, 50-50 bird food mix peanut crumb, everything, all the bait we were going to take. Homemade boilies, boilies we had sponsored, all the tackle, and we planned it. And it was the first two weeks in September. We set off from here, loaded the van up. 
It was, uh, I'm trying to think of the day it was, Phil, the date, the actual date. It was started fishing on the 1st of September, so we left it on the 31st of August. Yeah, so uh, the day came, it was 31st of August, and we'd done uh, months of planning, getting all the bait prepared, all the tackle prepared, new lines on the reel so I could get a bit further distance. I had something in my mind, I knew I was going to, you know, what I was going to do. I knew the swimmer was fishing, I'd sussed that out, so I knew I'm going to put the marker tubes out, and so I'd get all the tackle ready, all the bait, and the 31st of August, it was unbelievable. We were both like little kids. We couldn't wait. We couldn't wait. We just knew we were going to catch a few fish. So uh, I loaded the van up and uh, it was quite full. The back wheels were really low because I had all most of the bait here at home. Over half a ton of bait we took. And I drove to uh, Shrewsbury early hours of the morning, picked Dave Treasure up, picked him up at his house and he was he was like a kid. He's 70 odd year old bloke. He was like a kid. Big smile on his face. He said he can't wait. He's going to be the best. He said he never looked forward to a fishing trip ever in his life. So we... Uh, Loaded him up at his house in Shrewsbury and we drove to Dover and we got on the uh, train, the Euro Tunnel. We got off the Euro Tunnel five o'clock in the morning, six o'clock in the morning, and we started the epic journey to Hungary. Couldn't believe how far it was. I flew last time and uh, we drove this time and we drove through uh, France, then through Belgium. As you start leaving Belgium, you start seeing the signs for Germany, Berlin and other places. And then uh, we drove through Austria, Vienna, and then finally we made it to Hungary and to Yorawakwa. And it took us 27 hours. We shared the driving and we never stopped. We arrived on the Sunday morning, drove into uh, Yorawakwa gates and Alexander was there, the owner, and his wife and his daughter. The open arms, received us open arms and they were nice to see us. And there was another lad there, Steve Weir and Dave Moore, well-known anglers, and two Dutch guys. Who were there. So there's only six of us and we had the whole lake for two weeks, just six people. When we actually got there, they had us a big breakfast laid on in the clubhouse. It was great. We sat and had breakfast and relaxed and he was telling us all sorts of stories. Alexander is unbelievable. He's larger than life character. So eventually, uh, it was probably mid-morning, he said, right, I'll take you to your swims. And he, he took us around to the swims and we stood there in the swim and looked out and it was flat calm and the fish were boshing and jumping and the fizzing in the swim and just couldn't wait to get the rods out and get fishing. He'd shown us the swim and behind each swim there's a fridge and it's full of beer. He fills it full of beer and water and coke, anything you want and every time it's empty he comes around and refills it. It's a fantastic place, Yorowakwa. We spent two or three hours setting up the tents, the bivvies. We put three bivvies up, we put a spare bivvy up to put all the bait and the cooking facilities in one bivvy, and that's where we did all the boiling of the hemp and the bird food and all the boiling making and everything. That's where we did that. Got all the rods all set up. Three rods we were fishing. I was fishing on the right-hand side of the uh, swim, the electric swim, and Dave was fishing on the left-hand side. We had plenty of room between us. We had the whole bank to ourselves, and the other guys were on the other side of the lake. So it was, uh, you had loads of room to fish. The lake's about 25 acres, so I was fishing about 90 yards out in front of me, and I thought to myself... I'm going to fish quite tight. We have like these marker tubes, a troper tube they're called. It was like 15 foot deep where I was fishing. So uh, I went out in the boat and I uh, put these marker tubes out in the water. I put three out and they were about 25 yards apart, all three, at about 90 yards. Must have put in phew, 30 kilo of boilies all around these tubes. And then I put out, uh, I put 25 kilos of them sweet corn garlic luncheon meat, bird food mix out amongst all these three atropa tubes and just filled it in. 
I knew the fish hadn't been fed for, or fish for, for two months. So I know the owner feeds the lake. He goes every other day and puts out maize. On average, while we was there for that fortnight, he put five tonnes of maize in each of the six angler swims, over five tonnes of maize, which is unbelievable. And then our bait going in, which we'd brought over half a tonne of boilers and the particle mix. So then now it's three, four o'clock in the afternoon. We're just about to get our rods out and put all our rods out. On each of uh, the tubes, I put a, a double boiler, 25 mil double boiler, and I went out to the atropa tube and I dropped it and scattered a few baits over the top of it. Back to the bank, put the rods down, and it was a waiting game then. Just waited. And it wasn't long before we got our first bite, even though all the bait had been put out. Day's first fish, it roared off on his left-hand rod, and uh, we landed there, and it was a 50. And then it was quiet then for a few hours. I think it was one o'clock in the morning, I had my first run, and that was a 40. And then from that night to the uh, Monday night, we'd had something like about 15 fish. Just all the rods were going... Yeah, so things were going absolutely smashing. We'd been there a couple of days and we were catching steady four or five fish in the morning and then, and then it'd go quiet and then the evening time had come and another three or four fish. Every couple of hours we were going out and throwing loads of boilers and, and particle bait over our tropa tubes and our areas and then we were coming back to the bank, casting to the area and we were getting runs in feeding spells and uh, I think it was the fourth day. We'd had plenty of fish up to... David had the biggest up till then. He had a 72-pound carp, which was his personal best. He was over the moon. Every time I looked round at him, it was just a big smile on his face. He'd had a 72, a 69, a 50. I'd had probably four or five 50s and the rest doubles, singles and 40s and 30s. And I'll never forget it. It was about dinner time on uh, Thursday, just before dinner. I was fishing one rod on the right. The right antropotube was a little bit shallower. It was about eight, nine foot deep and I hadn't had many fish off it, but I'd seen a massive fish jump a couple of hours before and I thought, Ooh, that's a big fish. A big swirl and a, like, it, was, it was a big thud. And about dinner time, I had a slow run, a little drop back and then it tore off and he hit this fish. I picked the rod up and I just leant into the fish and it was just like, it was solid. I thought I was snagged at first. And all of a sudden it started to move to the right slowly, slowly. And it wasn't shaking its head, it wasn't pulling, it was just a solid, solid lump. And every couple of minutes I got a couple of foot on it. And half an hour later, the margins are quite deep at Yoroaqua. Uh, I hadn't seen the fish for 25, 30 minutes. And Dave's there with a the landing net ready to get this fish. And uh, I finally started getting it and I just saw my leader come up. And I knew that it was only like 10 foot away. And uh, I hadn't seen it. All the time, there was like big swirls where the tail patterns, it's swirling its tail and the big vortex is on top of the water. And all of a sudden it just popped up and I couldn't believe the size of the thing. It was absolutely huge. And Dave, he was shaking, I was shaking. And then I finally just got it over the spreader block and Dave netted it. And he looked at me and he said, it's got to be 900 pound. It was absolutely huge. So what we did with the fish, you, you can't just lift them out of the water. You actually undo the landing net and slide the net over a, a weighing sling, a big sling, a retaining sling. And then we lifted both arms onto a, like a, a big weighing mat on the bank. And we called over the Steve Weir and Dave Moore because we knew we had something special. They came over with their scales and our scales and we weighed it. And it weighed 94 pounds, exactly. It was unbelievable. Massive. If you catch a fish over 40 kilos, you must phone the owner or go and grab him. You know, if it's the middle of the night, you've got to phone him, he comes out. He wants to verify it, video it, 
and record it. So we uh, phoned him and he'd come round. He was happy. We weighed it, we photographed it and videoed it and returned it. And it was the best feeling I've ever had. Unbelievable. I've actually caught a carp over 90 pounds. It was amazing. And I never cast in. I reeled my rods in. I, did, I didn't fish for a day. I reeled him. I was that happy. I was just over the moon. Had a few beers in the clubhouse with the owner. Got quite drunk. <laughs> and then uh, on the next day, it was Friday now. By the time I've got organised, it was Friday evening. Got my rods back out. Dave was fishing. He was catching regular. We was catching. I think we'd have like uh, 370s by now. And same rod again. Right hand rod in the shallower water. Slow run. Picked it up. And I knew it was a big fish. And it was a heavy fish. It was off again. It was a big, big fish. Same again. I played it slowly, slowly, slowly. And I, I, I landed that. And I looked at it. And it was another mirror. A massive mirror gap. We'd had a few 70s, a few 60s. And this obviously was bigger than that. We'd, I estimate. I thought it'd go 90 again. I thought I'd have got another 90. Anyway, we got on the bank and weighed it. And it was 87 pounds. Steve Weir came over. And Dave Moore shouted him over again. They came over. And Steve Weir said, I think I caught that fish the first day I was here. So we had a look at his camera and everything. And he actually caught that fish the first day when we arrived on the Sunday. Within an hour, he'd, he'd had an 85 pound something carp. And it was the same fish. And we weighed this one and put uh, just under two pounds on in five days fishing, six days fishing. It was amazing. They were just eating that much bait. And we weighed it, photographed it and put it back. And that was then the biggest brace ever caught, a 94 and an 87. But obviously there was more to come. We just kept catching regularly. The fishing was absolutely unbelievable. The fish were just having it, just feed on the bait. Everybody was catching. I think between me, Steve Weir, Dave Moores and Dave Tredge, we'd had over 100 fish over 50 pounds by the middle of the second week. And it was on the Wednesday. We made a list of all the fish we'd caught and we'd had 99 carp between us. And he records everyone down. And I think it was a Wednesday or the Thursday of the, of the second week. He gave me this list and he said, look at that 99. Wouldn't it be good if we caught another big one, 100 fish? It'd be a big one. And on that day, my rod went on the right, the right rod, the shallow rod again. Every big fish come off that shallow water. It roared off. And I knew again, it was another massive fish. It just took ages to get in. It took 35 minutes to land this carp. And it was all over the place. It just slow plodding. It just took line, took line, took line. Then I got a bit more back on it and it just took more and more line. And eventually uh, Dave's there with landing it again. And we didn't, didn't catch many commons. And when this rolled over and the owner had told us before there's a carp over a hundred pounds and it's a common in there. I saw this carp roll. I thought, don't say I've caught this hundred pound carp. And it rolled over. I landed the fish. And we phoned the owner again and we got it back on the bank and we weighed it, called Dave Moore's over and everything. And everybody said it's the best looking cat they've ever seen. And it was a common, it was massive. Weighed it and it weighed 91 pounds. It was unbelievable. So I'd had a 94, an 87, and then I just had this 91. And it was unbelievable. It was immaculate. It was beautiful. And it was recognised by one of the lads on there, Steve Weir. He'd seen it caught the November before. A guy called Mr. Clenzo caught it and it was £78, 12 ounces in November last year in 2013. And then I caught it and it was £91. And again, I never fished. I just didn't fish. I just didn't cast back out. Had a few beers with the owner, celebrated. I think I started fishing again on the Thursday morning and I didn't catch many more. It started to get a bit slow. Dave, my partner, on the last day, he had a 76 and a 75. And uh, that sums up the fishing at Yoroaqua.
So where exactly does this officially sit in the overall carp hall of fame? Oh yeah, it's at the top. No one has ever, ever caught a brace of carp of £90. There's a handful of anglers in the world who have caught one £90 carp. And I reckon there's only three lakes in the whole of the world with a £90 carp in. And there's only half a dozen people who've caught £90 carp. Whereas I've gone and caught a £90 mirror carp and a £90 common carp in the same session, which has never been done before. We've talked about the fish, obviously, and you've touched on the bait and the feed. Now might be a good time to also add in a bit of detail regarding your tackle and tactics. My tactics were, I had to fish at 90 yards, and I wanted to use a PVA stick mix, so then when you cast, you know, when it lands in the water, it's completely safe. It's not tangled, and it's, you know, it's spot on there, next to your bait. My tactics were, I used a four-ounce lead, a lead core leader, so it, it didn't tangle, and the hook link I was using was, uh, I always use it, and it's fantastic stuff from Atomic Tackle, and it's called Jelly Wire, and it's a, a stiff Dacron braid. It's nice, and it, it's coated, but I didn't strip the coating back. I just left it. I used barbless hooks, small six barbless hook, and I was using two 25mm boilies. We were sponsored by Avid Tackle, so they give us all the boilies. They were just code red boilies. I think if I'd have used any boiler, I'd have caught good fish meal boilies. And then I was using lots of hemp. We can't love the hemp. On the trip, I'd use 12, 25 kilo sacks of hemp. And I was using a, a little bit of peanut crumb. And that was my main bait. And I'd go out to my spot, throw a load of hemp and boilies out. Then I'd cast from the bank the four ounce lead with a coated braid bump right next to the uh, tropa tubes. And it was set. What about your favourite hand tackle? My favourite gear? Well, I was using fox rods. These fox rods, 13 foot, three pound test curve fox rods. And big Shimano reels, big pit reels with big spools. So I'd get plenty of line and get the, you know, the cast in there. And optonics, Delkim optonics to wake me up in the night. Now you mentioned earlier the extent to which the fish at Eurowack were pile on the weight. And you've also mentioned a known 100 pounder in the lake. But surely at this rate, a couple of your fish will also be topping 100 soon, if they haven't done so already. What then are your intentions with regards to cracking the tongue? Well, you have to be invited now to fish at Eurowack where it's quite a close shop. And he's inviting me to go back in June next year. The last two weeks of the season, he closes it then, at the end of June. It gets too hot and he wants to give his carp rest. I must admit, he looks after his fish. He's unbelievably feeds them right. He gives them right boilies in the winter, the right boilies in the summer. He gives them tons of maggots when it, it freezes over heavily in the winter. It's very cold. And as soon as it thaws out, he feeds them tons of maggots to get them going again. And he's, he looks after his fish. So my tactics, when I go back in June, uh, I'm going to fish it the same. I'm going to put plenty of them particle. And yeah, I've got a really good chance of catching a bigger fish because the fish are piling on the weight. The mirror carp I caught at £94 has now come out only yesterday, as we're speaking, at 97 And the common carp I caught has been out again, and that was caught a week ago, and that's come out at £99. No, it's only a little bit. And, and there was a carp in there originally, what I seen when I was there in June 2014, which I didn't see when I was there in September, at £98. So that is, could be well over £100. And the owner reckons there is £100 carp in there anyway. And you fancy your chances? Yes, I do, yes. My luck's in, I think. Obviously, foreign trips and individual red letter catches don't come along every day. As with all branches of fishing, there will also be lots of routine sessions and related stuff to wade through. So give us a flavour now of how your fishing goes on the home scene. Phil, I've not fished in England for 25 years. 
I've, I've done it is fish in France. I've been going to France for 25 years because I wanted to catch the big fish and that's where the big fish are. I've been fishing uh, uh, Florida Orient and I've been fishing Chantico. I've been fishing Rainbow Lakes. The last 15 years, I've gone five or six times a year to Rainbow Lakes and the wife would kill me if I started going over there and fishing over here. Obviously, you have fished in Britain and not necessarily always for carp. So let's go back now to the very early days. How and why did he become interested in fishing? What are your earliest recollections and who ultimately inspired you to become so firmly focused on big carp? I've been fishing ever since I can remember. My dad used to take me. My dad was a big fisherman, coarse fisherman. And uh, he loved fishing for tench and bream. And he used to take me to Ireland. We used to go fishing to Ireland when I was, when was a school kid. When I got working and passed my driving test, I started to fledge off on my own. And I used to fish a place called Roman Lakes in Marple. And there was some lots of big carp in there. But obviously, I used to look at them and think, I can't catch those. And I used to be there, just like a maggot drowner, catching small roach. I used to save me dinner money up and just go fishing on the Saturday. I've no dinner all week and go fishing. And I was watching a guy fish in the middle swim on Roman Lakes and he was catching carp after carp after carp and I thought, I want some of that. And in the end, I never used to go fishing myself. I used to go there just to watch him and I learned off him. And I finally saved money up from work and I bought some gear and tackle and I used to fish Roman Lakes regular. And I used to start catching the carp myself. The area wasn't invented then when I was fishing for them. And a very famous angler came on one day, a bloke called Tim Paisley. He was my idol. And he was using his little balls of bait and a hair rig. And uh, I kept watching him and I was on the luncheon meet and getting runs and striking and nothing there. He was getting screaming runs and catching plenty of carp. And I thought, hey, what's going on here? And I, I got behind him and I used to watch him and he told me, and he'd show me the air rig and show me how to make the boilies. And after that, he was just run after run after run, fish after fish. I left Roman Lakes and I joined a place at Stoke Angling called Reesmere and I fished Reesmere and was successful on Reesmere, caught some big carp in England on Reesmere and met a few top anglers on there who were just starting to go to a big lake called the Orient in France where the big fish were. If you caught a 20 pounder in England then it was a big fish but they were catching 30s and 40s at this Orient and I seen the photographs and I wanted some of it and I left there in 1992 and started fishing into France, and that's I've been to France and Hungary ever since. Right, politics and opinions time. We've talked in some detail already about your history, that magic trip, and how you got into fishing for big carp. Can we now dig a little into your views on topics which some people, either outside or not even interested in big carp, have expressed? And I'm playing devil's advocate here, putting things to you which are not necessarily my own views. Let's start with how some followers of other strands of freshwater fishing view things. I've heard it said that the use of high-protein baits is ruining specimen hunting for other species because to catch a record or a big specimen of many other species other than carp without high-protein baits, you stand little if any chance at all. What's your take on that? I don't know because I think a lot of carp anglers now use a lot of variety of baits. They're using a lot of carbohydrates. They're using a lot of protein and predominantly fish meal boilers. And no, I don't. It's carp anglers now who are keeping the fishing going in these lakes around here. You go onto these lakes now and, it, and the matchmen have disappeared. It's all carp anglers. And them lakes are just going to rack and ruin if it weren't through the carp anglers. For a comment, that's the counter-argument I've also regularly heard. 
Taking things one stage further now, and you've touched on your own use of bivvies and optonics already, is relying on bite alarms, sleeping in bivvies, and using self-hooking rigs to catch large stockfish, taking away the need to serve an angling apprenticeship, particularly amongst younger anglers who jump straight into the big carp scene. Could it be that many of the more traditional skills are now becoming lost as a result? Yeah, I agree. I started fishing, fishing for roach and all good gin in the local canal and, and all that. And I think every car, there is instant carp anglers and they do try and tell you what to do. And they can go out and buy all the gear. All the gear, no idea, I call them. But I think they should spend a bit of time fishing for the roach and the perch and learning a few fishing skills before they jump into catching the big fish. Definitely. Let's also deal with the accusation that catching some of these big carp is fairly meaningless. Big fish with individual names, bought, or sometimes even stolen, to put into lakes which only a select few might ever get access to fish. I think all the fish in England, like uh, Reedsmere, in 1962, they were stocked. So I can't see the problem in bringing big fish and putting them in a the pond and bringing them on and, and fishing for them. I can't see a problem, because they all get wise and they're all tricky to catch. No different to stocking huge hatchery-reared trout into Abington and Diva Springs, really. No, no, not at all, no. No, I can't see any problem with it at all. And I know for sure there's going to be a lot more fish brought, different strains brought from Belgium, Hungary, into this country in the next 10 years, and it's going to change the way carp fishing is in England because the strain they're going to be bringing over grow very quickly and grow very big. So it's a lot of these lakes, they're going to be fish owners are going to want these carp to put in their lakes because it encourages other anglers to come in and want to catch a 40-pound carp. If you're a traditionalist and you want to go and fish that massive big 100-acre mare for that one elusive carp and spend all year fishing for it, happy days. All of which leads very nicely into my next question, which is that because of the alleged falseness of wheeling and dealing in big fish, the British Record Fish Committee recently removed the Welsh catfish from the list and now want to remove all other non-native species, including carp. Furthermore, if they had their way, they'd also like to see all alien species removed from the UK completely, and that, again, would include the carp. Within the carp world, they actually uh, have a list of the carp caught. So if they did get rid of it, it wouldn't bother me, because if I want to know where the big fish are being caught, I just look in this book, and it's big carp, a book called Big Carp, and every now and then they bring it out, and there's a list of carp, and they're mainly caught from France, Rainbow Lakes, Euroaqua, and it tells you when they were caught, and who's caught it, and the weights. And that's what I go off, I go and look at that list. So it wouldn't affect you at all? No, it wouldn't affect me, no, because now I know next time that book gets published, I'm going to be in that list. And it shows you where all the fish were caught. It shows you the lads who caught it. And if you're in that circle, fishing for the big fish, you get to know all the people. So I'm happy with that. If carp were to be removed, which quite frankly is probably neither likely nor possible, would it be fair to say that freshwater fishing in the UK would nosedive into total collapse as a result? Some argue that carp are pretty much the only thing keeping coarse fisheries and much of the tackle industry alive these days. Carp fishing now, it's unbelievable. The amount of people fishing... You look at the River Severn in Shrewsbury, there is nobody fishing the river anymore because of the uh, the birds, the goosander and the uh, cormorants. So it, there's only carp fishing left. The other side of the discussion regarding de-skilling on the freshwater scene is that carp fishing has only gotten to this point because of the degree of dedication, application and innovation of those who follow it and that this says much about the character and skill of carp devotees. Oh yes, it's all the uh, tactics baiting programs and pre-baiting and your little fine rigs your little rig tubes on your hook and 
trying to catch that elusive, really weary gap. And out of all those innovations, which for you has had the greatest impact? The Airig. Without a shadow of a doubt, the Airig. Once that came in, it just changed cat fishing. You used to use your, your bits of luncheon meat and your kitty cat rolled in a ball, just covered the hook completely. And then when this guy came with these little balls of food and it was tied off the hook like a hair rig and it freed the hook. So when the fish sucked it in, the bait bobbled about its mouth and the hook was completely free. And when it spat it out and the hook catched the side of the lip and it off it went, the hair rig, without a doubt. What about new stuff maybe in the pipeline are being tested? Is there anything over the next few years that is going to take carp fishing on to the next level? Personally, for me, I think I'm going to look at fishing Lake Balaton in Hungary. A massive lake, a huge big lake, and they actually trawl there with big boats to catch the carp for the table. And uh, that's what's going to change me. I'm going to fish Lake Balaton. I'm going to go for a few weeks holiday and hire a boat and just suss the place out. And that's what I'm going to do in the next few years. What's so special about that place? It's going to be a challenge. It's 50 miles around in size. There's holiday resorts around it. It's absolutely huge. And the fish, there's definitely carp in there over £100. Same question, but this time, tackle tactics and baits. Or are we pretty much already there? Yeah, I think so. I don't think there's much more you can do with a rod and line and a bait. I don't think there's, there's much more you can do. you just got to do little variations. Sometimes, he even go back to the old ways. Which are? Put sweet on and fish float in the margins and don't cast 100 yards out and, you know, just go back to basics. With the stranger fish you're talking about and with global temperatures warming up, will the time ever come when carp lakes in Britain could rival the best the continent currently has to offer? Yes, I think they will in the next 10 years if some of the big lake owners over here and fish farmers go to Hungary and buy the carp because it's a special strain. They seem to have a little head and a big hump and they tend to grow very, very fast. And take that lake owner's uh, ideas and bring them to England and feed them the way he feeds them and regular and keeps the water nice and clean. And, he, you know, he has springs coming in and water going out and he keeps it nice and clean and he, he's, he's 101% with his fish care. If fish owners do that and someone has an inkling to bring the carp over and breed them on and feed them like he does, then yeah, I do, yeah. Any particular waters or people in mind that are currently moving in that direction? Uh, yeah, there is, but I can't say too much. <laughs> Fair enough. So, your future plans. Will the £100-pounder be a fish you're looking to catch? And will anybody beat your record brace? Before Christmas, someone will catch a £100-pound carp from Euroaqua because they're growing that quick. And there is fish in there over £100, so I think someone will catch because uh, there's people fishing now, since that got publicised, there's people knocking on his door wanting a fish. I don't think I'm going to be the first person to catch a £100 carp. I think that'll be caught before I go. But to catch two £90 carp in the same session, a common carp and a mirror carp, that's going to take some beating. So you're confidently comfortable on that one then? Yeah, I'm feeling yeah, I'm comfortable with that the record will stay in place. But there's always one thing on my mind. I was the first person to do it. And regardless of whatever else might happen along the way, nobody can ever take that one away from you. What an achievement. Thanks then for spending the time to talk the whole event over with us here. 